Amen. Thank you. Um, so, first time up here. We'll see if I ever get invited back. Uh, I get a little penty when I get up here, more Pentecostal than maybe I normally am. Um, so, I'm setting a timer right now for 25 minutes. I'm not kidding. Uh, it will go off and it will be obnoxious. Leap uh, red on my screen. But if I don't, um, I'm also going to say now, if you have children or just like don't want to hear what I have to say at the end, just just go on, just leave. It's fine. Um, I'm only saying that because I may go long, although I intend not to. Um, so it's a real, real pleasure to be here. Uh, I don't know what page exactly in your book, but uh, we'll be reading from Matthew 7 today. Um, I was asked to kind of speak on missions, and people always ask me, like, the why and how of missions, Um, whether I'm up here or whether I'm, like, at, like, we've done a lot of, uh, like, youth ministry, like, speaking in in small small groups for kids and stuff and um, encouraging high school kids to, like, broaden their horizons and do cool things, Um, but Speaking on the practical things about missions, like there's practical things like, I knew that was going to (laughs) happen. My computer will go to sleep. Um, There's practical things like uh, always packing toilet paper. That's important. Always do that. Um, There's uh, practical things like just learning to travel efficiently. Um, those, Those things you learn over time and will make a difference in your missionary life. Um... And there's also little things like just becoming more comfortable with looking foolish uh, in front of other people in in other people's cultures. Um, Those are all very practical. You can practice them here. I am doing it now. (laughs) Um, uh, Is it okay to laugh at your own joke? I didn't write that one down, but it sounded good. Um, uh, But if I'm honest, if I'm really honest about missions, like... When I come back to the Bible, it's always really clear to me. Like, I don't feel like I need to talk about this a lot because I feel like it's been said better than me and it's available for you to read and it's been published in the most widely published book in the history of mankind. Um, so I'll just read, my, like, my, you know, we could, we could do Matthew, the end of Matthew 28, right, and Great Commission. Um, one of my favorites, real fast, uh, end of Matthew 9, I've... I've also preached on this. Real quick, uh, why missions? Uh, Jesus is going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. This felt was like from the depth of his being, it says. Uh, He felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest and send out workers into his harvest. Um, great missional scripture. Uh, and then right after this, he commissions 10, uh, 10, 12 apostles. Sorry, I was, saw 10. Uh, 12 apostles, of course, and is there a way to stop the sound? Do I just lean closer and not make sounds? 
Okay. Um, so uh, then he commissions 12 apostles and sends them out, uh, giving them authority, and it's really cool. Read about it. Um, but uh, I'm not going to dig too far into that type of stuff. Instead, I want to focus on Matthew 7. If we are to believe that missions is in the Bible, like we don't need to really dig in or hear me talk about it, then I think the real question isn't why missions. Like, why should we go do this? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Go do it. Um, I think the Bible is really clear on go. Uh, If it's not clear to go, if it's not clear where to go or to whom to go to, go anywhere. Go serve anybody. It's better than doing nothing. Um, Just help somebody. And to me, asking why just sounds like hesitation. This, like, why missions? It's like, well, like, do I need a reason? Do I need to, to be encouraged in this? I don't think that's my job. I mean, I might be able to do a little bit of it, but I'm not going to do it better than this. Uh, There is no right or wrong time for missions, and I think hesitation is the opposite of action, and delayed obedience in my book is just disobedience. So I'm not going to talk huge on why missions. Instead, I want to address the real, kind of what I think is the real question. What is preventing people from living an authentic Christian walk that includes going on mission? Whether that's like some far-flung place or loving your neighbor like just next door uh, or just like helping the homeless guy who's at the stoplight or whatever. Um, I think that there's a lot of hesitation in that. And I think people don't totally see that like missions isn't this, this thing that needs to be expressed why. So I want to read through some of this scripture. Um, I I will tell you that in preparing for this, like, I've I've been in a few different countries around the world. Um, This one was a (laughs) nail-biter. I only finished, like, 10 minutes before I got here. Um, So my notes are a little sketchy. And it reminded me of uh, being in India and how you'll like, you, you're brought before a congregation and you're like, think that you're supposed to like do one thing and then they ask you to like give an hour long sermon and then there's like a short break and they expect you to do it again for like the same people over again. Um, but uh, speaking on that trust that like I know, I knew God would, would come through on this. And um, this week my family was in town. It's been really great to have them here. They're thinking about moving, so if you guys want to, like, evangelize Cincinnati, please, like, come tell me more things that I can sell them on. Um, But it also meant that I woke up at 4.30 this morning and took them to the airport, and I've been up since. So that's why I probably look like I've been up since 4.30. Um, So that's, like, kind of the pre-story to all the things that I wanted to say. Um, So let's get into the Word, yeah? Uh, If you'll open to Matthew 7, we'll be reading, uh, we'll start at verse 7. This is the holy word of God. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. 
and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Uh, I believe that this little section of scripture that we're starting at is pretty clear about setting a firm foundation for something that I want us to continue to come back to. It's, I think a lot of people have read this before, uh, whether you like are in the church all the time or maybe you've kind of come and go or whatever, this is not like necessarily doctrine that you may have not heard before. But what Jesus is trying to say here, I think, really is amplified in a few ways. First, prayer is a cornerstone of our relationship with God. Everything starts there. Everything ends there. If we're not doing that, we're doing it wrong. Um, Also, what I think is really great about these these words, these verses... uh, If you look in your footnotes or if you have that really annoying column they always put right in the middle of your verses, um, you'll see that there's, that these words, ask, um, ask, seek, and knock, uh, your footnotes might say, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking, Um, which is to say that these are verbs. These are things that we are always to be doing. They're not just like, oh, I'm just going to go ask God. All right, good. I'm done. Now I can go, and maybe I'll just seek him tomorrow. I'm not going to do it now. Maybe I'll go knock on the door on Wednesday and see what's there. That's not what Jesus is saying. He says that like a child to his father, continually coming to his father, we are to come to God in faith for everything, continually, over and over and over again. And there's this beautiful promise that's wrapped up in this, right? Like, it's not just ask, it's, it's ask and it will be given. Seek and it will be, seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. There's a promise there. Um, but these verbs, they're words of action. And they give us this confidence to go into missions. That's why words of action like go the Great Commission of Go, these words have the same underpinning that we as Christians, that the Christian faith is a faith of action. Jesus did these things. These words are real. And he calls us to go live them out. Uh, I'll say that in my experience doing missions, you can't do missions at least long term and certainly not sustainably, without understanding this, that if we are not continually seeking the Lord in everything that we do, you're just going to get burned out. You're just going to hit the bottom, and then you're just, every, like, everything goes awry, I promise. Um, these words are meant to call us into action for God's kingdom, and I think all too often these words are read separately, Uh, with a focus on asking as if it somehow holds God responsible 
for like the desires of our hearts. Well, it says if I ask, he will give it. Well, that's a pretty sweet deal. Uh, dear Lord, I would really like to win the lottery. Well, it says if I ask, he's going to give it, right? I, I don't have to read the rest of the book. I just have to read that one little bit that's really beneficial to me. Um, I think all too often we read them separately and we lose sight that, that like, we don't owe God. And he doesn't owe us anything. Everything he gives to us, everything he does for us is freely given and that's what's beautiful about this. Like, we don't have to earn this. We don't have to, like, fight for it. I think somehow this, this lie that's seeped into our culture and creeped into our church, that somehow we deserve God's blessing and that more money, the happier we are, the more comfortable we are uh, here on earth, the more, that the more blessed we are. And I think that this is a lie. This is a false teaching. And I think we're going to get a little, we'll, we'll get some hints at that later uh, as we keep reading. But I, I just know that that's not what Jesus is trying to say. Uh, God is not concerned with our happiness. He is only concerned with our holiness. That's it, plain and simple. There's lots of love wrapped around a lot of things and stuff. But at the end of the day, our holiness before God is the only thing he really, really cares about. All of the other stuff is so that we don't just, like, drop into a pit or turn into ashes. Like, it's great that he loves us for this, but that's why. Um, and so I think when we read these things together, why else would he follow this incredible offer of, like, come to me, ask and I will give it to you. Why else would he bring this together with seeking after him? And not just seeking him, like, God, are you here? Is this, like, I will run towards you. It's not just seeking him. It's like, okay, well, I found you. Ooh, there he is. Now I don't even want to approach him. That's not what God is saying. Jesus is calling us not just to ask, but to go find him in every part of our life, and to knock on that door boldly, ready to accept the blessings that he wants to put in our life. Just don't, just don't think that the blessings are like these foolish things that our hearts can dream up. These are the things that only the creator of the universe could dream up. Um, I wanted to share in my time some of my stories, but in writing this and kind of praying about what God wanted me to share, I really felt like I was being called to just be more vulnerable about who I am, about the new level of insecurity I've somehow discovered upon returning back to the United States, which is like totally new to me. Um, and so a little backstory. Uh, if you were to flash back to maybe a year and a half ago, every part of my life, my wife's life, was completely different. It looked different, it felt different, it smelled different, tasted different. Uh, <laughs> we were living this, this difficult, I'll admit difficult life, but every part of it felt rewarding and like we were just constantly doing the right thing. Even when we, we felt like we might have stumbled into the wrong thing, somehow it would become the right thing. Um, and we were working with incredible organizations, fighting human trafficking, 
and investing into the lives of the communities around us, and it, everything felt right. I loved it there. I love it there. I miss it. I still miss it. Um, when it became clear that the accommodation for our son's ultra-rare genetic uh, disorder, uh, condition, I should say, uh, wasn't really going to be possible um, in Thailand, where we were living at the time, I, I felt like I had to make one of the hardest decisions of my life. And I was distraught. Like, I, I've, I can say I know what that word means, <laughs> legitimately. Um, and it was tearing my heart in two. We moved back to the United States 51 weeks ago, exactly 51 weeks ago. And since then, I felt like my life has been slowly moving backwards. Uh, everything I do feels like it takes more effort. Um, the things I felt like I was really good at, like, like standing here and like just bringing the word and encouraging people and, and all this stuff, like being in small group and, and like just serving just unconditionally, like with everything that I had, it just felt so easy and it feels so hard now. Everything feels so much harder. I, I feel like I struggle at the things I was good at. I feel like the confidence I had, I have lost. And yet, through all of this, somehow, somehow I'm standing here, and somehow I feel equipped in everything that I do, and I just don't, I don't know how or why that is. And somehow I just feel like I'm blindly walking towards Jesus in everything that I do, and I don't know how it's working out or why it's working out, but... This season, I, I hate Christianese, <laughs> the word season. Um, people seem to really understand it when I use it, so I'm using it, but I wouldn't normally use it. <laughs> um, this season has been about trust, and I think these verses, these verses when I read them, they, they show us they allow, they allow us to trust in that which we cannot see, that which we cannot perceive sometimes, even when the path isn't the path that you wanted. Um, and when I think about that, that the creator of the universe, this holy God who sits above all things, who knows everything about everything that I'm thinking, that I've ever said, everything about you, depending on your theology, you can kind of draw this map however you want, but he knows, that's the key. Um, that he loves me so much that he would call me to him to seek him and to knock at his door. This exercise of faith is just, it just, somehow continues to work in my life right now. And, I, and I, I don't even, it's like I'm just walking through it, but it seems to be working. And it's, it's these words that are echoed by 
by the Apostle Paul, and, and he has this incredible story. If you haven't read all of most of the New Testament, it's his. Uh, in Romans 5, he... See if I get to the right spot right away. Nope, that's a different one. In Romans 5, we'll be reading 5, 1 through 4 real quick here. Almost there. In Romans 5... He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exalt in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, We also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who who has been given to us. So I read these words and I think, all right. That's, that's what, when I read Matthew 7 and I experience what I'm experiencing, I, I'm, I, I get like, like you're in this Roman prison, Paul, like you're in house arrest, like all the stuff that's happened to you, like you get it. And I'm starting to get it myself. But it's this exercise of faith that, that he seems to really understand well and I don't even sometimes realize that I'm doing it, but I seem to be still here. If we go on a little bit further, how much time do I have? Verse 12, Matthew 7, the golden rule. We know know this well. Uh, It's this, this saying that is like a universal truth. Uh, It's a universal truth that's accepted by pretty much every major religion. And even our current American culture seems to understand this. Uh, In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law and the prophets. And yet when we read that, there's something about this that is different than all of these other things that claim to be the same. I've spent a lot of time in India. I lived in a very, like, Buddhist country. Both Hinduism and Buddhism come directly to mind because I know their culture as well, but Confucianism, just keep naming all of them. Judaism, all of them say the same thing, but they all say them differently than how Jesus phrases this universal truth. In Hinduism, do not... Do not unto others, which would cause you pain if done unto you. In Buddhism, hurt not others with that which pains yourself. 
these words, when we read them in our popular culture, if you were just to ask someone off the street, what's the golden rule? Well, don't do anyone, anything to anyone you don't want done to yourself. It sounds right. It's what a lot of people might say. It's what every other major religion says. But when we read this, this subtle detail, there's this thing that I, it's almost unnoticeably different. It's that Jesus phrases this in a positive. And he says this, it's unique how Jesus frames it this way. And I think it has important implications on our actions, or rather our lack of action. If we are to be servants of the Lord God, if we are to be sent, if we are to go, if our faith is a faith of action, you can't phrase the don't go do these things. It has to be said, go do the thing. Right? There's a difference. If I'm Buddhist, it's totally okay for me just to sit at home all the time, not offending anybody ever. But if you're a Christian and you just sit at home and you do nothing, what's the point? I'm running out of time, so I want to jump to the end of this chapter real quick. Verse 15 and 20 uh, through 20. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from the bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit? Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. I like how these, I like to read these words two ways. The first is to protect us against the false prophets and the false teachings of our society and our world. Okay, but what I want how I want you to read this today, a second, is to apply this to ourselves and reveal where we are the false prophets of God's kingdom. Where are we not living out the things that God calls us to? Where is the fruit that proves we are Christians? I'm not saying you're going to have fruit in everything that you do, but I am saying that you will have fruit in the things that you do for God. Because that's his promise. If you seek him and you do his will, there will be fruit for that. This is something I've really struggled with lately. Uh, it may be part in that while on mission, everything felt so vivid. Everything felt on point. I could walk outside and I could say hello to somebody and just smile and be a good Christian. And that was on mission, right? I'm doing good. I mean, you need to go a little bit farther, but the smile becomes a conversation and you order your food from the same person every day and you explain to them why they're there, why you're there and why you've 
put so much effort into learning their language. And when they say, oh, gang, gang, you respond with, oh, I've been like, ha, pom, yak ja, pom, pom ao tukon Thai, jarujak prajao. I want every Thai person to know God. That's why I learned your language. That's why I, <laughs> that's why I lived there. That's why I was there. And now that I'm home, it just, it feels like, well, where, I feel like it's really easy to fall into the patterns of every other American that I've told people while on mission and come home and like took their money and like went back and did the cool thing that like, well, you still have to live on mission when you're at home. Now it's my turn, right? Like I have to be home and I have to like not fall into the traps that I know are there, that I've warned people about. And so... I could come up with excuse after excuse after excuse of why the last 51 weeks, for the last 51 weeks, and, but I, I hate excuses. And I can't accept the idea that I'm okay with letting something come between my relationship with God. And that's all an excuse is. And so... I know, I struggle with this because I know it's not, like, unique to me. Like, I'm certain that there are people in this room, that there will be people who listen to this, that there are people I work with, there are people I interact with every day who wish they could just be a better Christian. Like, just look like Jesus and all they do. Just live out the words better. And they struggle with it. I've yet to, what I've had to learn is that recognizing my intentionality towards serving others abroad is, is no different than recognizing my intentionality towards serving my family and why I came home. It's for all the heartache that came from being in Thailand I have found increasing joy I did not have before in being a father. And I have found God using me and and encouraging me in places I just didn't know existed. But I've had to seek that. A co-worker wrote this note for me. Wanted to thank you again for your time and wisdom yesterday, before, and continually to come. Christ is working through you to change me. I am certain of it. And just showed up on my desk. I didn't do anything intentional, at least not to my eyes. And so I want to encourage people as I grossly go over time. I want to encourage everyone that part of seeking God is seeking his fruit in your life. Part of knocking on the door and it being open to you is accepting the fruit that's there. Whether it was unexpected or not. 
coming back to the United States was never a door I wanted to knock on. And this note has been one of the highlights of my year so far, again, I promise. I mean, watching my son grow up, watching God and our life and his provision, and then this note. <laughs> Is there unrecognized fruit in your life? I want to encourage you to look for it because sometimes God has to literally write it down through someone else's hand to like wake you up. But also acknowledging that is edification and it brings glory to God and that's our whole purpose. The last bit of this chapter, I'm just going to wrap this up, the last bit of this chapter uh, has... If you were to ask me two scariest and favorite part of the Bible, <laughs> verse-wise, this is one of my, scare- my pick for one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Uh, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me the day- on that day, Judgment Day. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Did you not move to the other side of the world? Did you not serve people? This terrifies me. I've committed my life to serving God. And yet these words, they still, they stand there because my favorite verses in the Bible are the only thing, like it, it just, it's the only thing I want. I want to come before God and I just pray all he'll say is, and I pray that this is the same for all of you. Thank you, my good and faithful servant. Because nothing could make my life worth more than to hear that. Nothing would bring me more joy than to know I served him with everything that I had from every moment that I had. And I didn't, I wasn't born a Christian, like I, I had to find Christ, so I like started 18 years late and I already feel like I'm not going fast enough. And here I am in this part of my life feeling like I'm just going slower and slower and slower. And I had all these other verses I wanted to share with you. But instead, I'll just wrap up like this. One of the best disciple makers I've ever met, who I got to serve with in Thailand, his name is, I'll leave that out, great man. He runs this incredible discipleship ministry that, among other things, reaches out to men who come to the red light district. Not the people who were in the red light district. These are the tourists, the people that, like, most people don't want to interact with. You could demonize these people, but he, he sees them for who they are. That if they're, that they're, there must be something broken that could motivate a person to get on a plane and pay thousands of dollars to fly to the other side of the world to meet a complete stranger. There's something broken there. And he 
he once taught this. I want to leave this with this. If we don't look to God to define our character, the world will define it for you. If we don't look at these words, if we aren't people of action continually asking and seeking and knocking, who can we expect to become? We're just going to be, we're going to become the face of People magazine. We're just going to be that or whatever. I don't even know what the tabloids are called these days. <laughs> um, benefits of living under a rock 15,000 miles away. Um, Jesus gives us two parables at the end of this chapter to illustrate this point. He gives us a parable in the middle about the wide gate and the narrow gate. And then he gives us a parable at the end about two builders, two homes, one on solid ground and a home in trouble built on sand. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Which house do you want? Both houses in this. You just read one verse up. Same storm, same turbulence, same exact thing. All God is asking is that we follow him and trust him blindly to ask, to seek, to follow, and to know that like, even when we don't know what's happening around us, that we've built a foundation on something bigger, stronger, and greater than us. And that regardless of the storm, we're going to be fine. That somehow, some way, if we, it, it will work out. And this isn't a promise that it's going to always work out the way we want, but it will work out for his glory. And that's all we should really be looking for anyways. Thank you for your time. I wish I could share more. I'm done. And I was 11 minutes over. <laughs> so too bad. Um, there's a great bit of scripture if you're interested. James 1, uh, 23 to 25 if you have time, that can be your homework for the week. <laughs> it's quite encouraging about being a doer. I like it because it uses the word doer as if that's like weirdly translated into English. Um, thank you all. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Uh, let, let me pray. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for today. I thank you for these people. I thank you for your words. I thank you that I have not dropped dead yet. No, seriously. I thank you for the things that you've done in my life. I thank you for the things seen and unseen. I thank you for these people. I thank you that I can stand before them just trembling. A, a strangely different man that I don't even know. That I can stand before them, not even sometimes fully recognizing the person in the mirror, just like in James 1. But that they love me that they love each other, that this is a community that you've brought together. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to bless these people. 
Lord, I pray that you would encourage them through whatever way, be it through me or some note or whatever. Lord, and I pray for their children and their families, and I pray for this day. I pray for all of these things in your holy and blessed name, Jesus, because you are holy, holy, holy. Amen.